Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles or pull out your scripture sheets that I made, uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, continuing our Colossians series. The title of today's message is Three Foot World. And I've been doing a lot of reading personally, um, some about my, um, getting my bachelor's in nursing. I'm reading a lot about mental health issues. And we, I've also noticed, and it's actually becoming a, a pretty big deal at my hospital, of the amount of people we're seeing in the ER dealing with severe mental illness. And I commented, there were, we were having kind of what we call it a huddle at the beginning of the shift where the director comes out and talks to us. And I said, yeah, five out of my six shifts in the last pay period, I had somebody in the ER for 12 plus hours with mental health issues. And it's becoming an epidemic in this country. It just seems to be something that is really, really hitting us very hard lately. And depression seems to be at the top of the list. It seems that people are just depressed. They're, they're running out of uh, reasons to live, reasons to continue. Um, suicidal isolation seems to be a big thing. And it just seems to be just coming at us in waves lately. So I'll just ask, is anyone here struggling with feelings of depression lately? Is anybody here feeling like they're run down, like they're emotionally or spiritually exhausted? Maybe even feeling a little burned out. If so, you're in the right place. Too many times we think as Christians it's ungodly somehow to feel like this. We think that, that Christians should always have this, this happy, joyful, and we only see puppy dogs and rainbows in every situation, that we just should be cheerful all the time. But if you've lived on this earth for any length of time, we know that's just not the reality. If you read the gospel, you'll see that the author of our faith, the Lord Jesus, had times of sorrow. He had times of Something, some things that you could see almost of a depression and especially fear. Right before he went to the cross, he said, my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. He said, I want to almost die right now because I'm so afraid of what is coming. In the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel spoke of the days that we're living in right now, when the spiritual power of wickedness would just rise in such a, a powerful flood, and it would be controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist, which is rising and running freely right now among us. And listen to what Daniel says about the spirit of Antichrist. In Daniel 7.25, and I'm using the new American Standard Version for this um, particular verse. It says that he will speak out against the Most High, he being the Antichrist, will speak out against the Most High, and he will wear down the saints of the highest one. So when we see the, a lot of what's going on in the news right now, and the, like the enemy is just coming in like the flood, and it feels like we're living in a bizarro world, all of that is meant... Number one, to drag as many people down into the pit of hell as he can. And secondly, so Satan wears down the saints. 
so that he causes us to be afraid, so he causes us to live in fear. So if your spirit is feeling out of sorts, like suddenly in the last few years, you're living in the Hunger Games America, or it just feels like there's some dystopian movie that you're participating in, it just means that your spirit is crying out because of the onslaught of evil that is coming into our world. I mean, just this last week, there were so many legitimate news stories out there that were so insane, it felt like I was reading the National Enquirer or Weekly World News' website. They were just so out there, but they're actually happening today. And I actually had a list of them I was going to share with them, but I deleted it because some of them are just so evil and disgusting, I just I couldn't bring it from, from the pulpit. So I just say that to say this, pray for America. We deserve God's judgment. But when God's people humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, he will bring mercy and revival. I'm still praying that the reason that America does not appear in biblical prophecy is we're raptured before the prophecy starts really kicking in. We as a member of God's kingdom have to face the truth, though, that there is something I fear that might be irrevocably broken in our nation. So how do you and I face this? How do we live during these kind of days? How do we fulfill the command of Christ to stand against the devil and his evil schemes? Especially, especially right now, when it will start costing us to do so. You speak out against the, what's going on in the world, and you see how fast they'll turn on you. Well, the first thing I want to do is remind us that as much of the news of the day that can be depressing, I read the end of the book. Jesus wins. Let me say that again. Jesus wins. In, in fact, he's really already won. When he said it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. We now just live in this tension of a kingdom that is already here, but not yet fully manifested yet on this earth. That's why the book of Revelation is called Revelation. It's revealing the kingdom of Jesus that is coming to this world. But it is already here in you and I. It's being birthed, and what any woman will tell you, birth is a painful process. And we're now in the birthing stages of Jesus coming to reign and rule on this earth. And your attitude about all of this is a little telling. It gives us a little peek into your spirit. If you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, the, the stuff of Revelation is coming. I'm so afraid. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. What, what happens if I get persecuted? What happens if they, if they yell at me? What happens if they cancel me? What happens if they, if, if they just don't like me anymore? Well, if you're living with fear in your heart, it shows that your focus is off a little bit. It shows that you're looking at the wrong thing. So this morning, we're going to be exploring this a little. And I'm going to give you some hints on the kind of attitude you're going to need to survive and thrive on what I think is going to be coming. 
So in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at a winning mindset that will help us get through what is coming. And I've broken up um, Colossians 3, 1 through 11 a little bit. We'll go through each section um, one at a time. So Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And Father God, I ask, Father, that you help strip away all the garbage that the world wants to pile on us right now, all the fear, all the doubt, and all the unbelief, you strip that away and give us the realization of exactly who Jesus Christ is to us. Father, do that through the preaching of your word this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. I was reading a book by a former Navy SEAL, and he was teaching a concept called Three Foot World which is the title of today's message. And what that means is that when we are faced with difficult, dangerous, or impossible circumstances, you focus on what you can control within three feet of where you are and then trust your teammates to do the same. And the Army actually teaches something similar that we just didn't call it that. During my time, my life infantry unit was conducting a training exercise down in Fort Benning where we were going to simulate an attack on an enemy camp. And it started with us being dropped off 25 kilometers away from the, the supposed target. It's about 15 miles. And then we had to move to the objective on foot. And the way that we did that was we had to do it with maps and a compass. This is before GPS was was a big thing, and it was meant to, to test our land navigation skills and our ability to move tactically and quietly through the woods and over the hills and rivers and everything else we had to cross. And it looks kind of like a leapfrog. One squad would, would provide cover, the next squad would go forward, the next squad would move, and you just kept doing that. So you went from covering for 30 seconds to running or walking really fast for 30 seconds and then covering, and you just kept doing this kind of leapfrog thing. And about, ha about a quarter of the way through it, torrential rain comes down. Absolutely drenching February rain in Georgia. It was exhausting. And you're running up and down the hills, and about halfway through, I was spent. I forgot to change my socks at our last break, so my feet are just covered in blisters at this point. Every step is agony. I mean, just like, I mean, the kind of nerve pain that shoots up your leg. You're 19 years old, feeling like you're a 70-year-old diabetic person walking on your feet. And it's just soaked. I was freezing cold, just not enjoying myself. Usually I love training, but I was absolutely miserable. And it was actually one of the lessons they were trying to teach you in this training was how to persevere when you're mentally, emotionally, and physically done. When you just want to get up. When you want to tap out, call the medics, and become the dirtiest word in the U.S. Armed Forces. A quitter. When you feel like you're going to quit. One of the instructors told us that perseverance is simple. 
And it comes down to that three-foot world concept. He said, your focus is going to determine your success. Instead of focusing on this gigantic task before you, break it down into smaller chunks. And during this instruction time, he said, how do you eat an elephant? Somebody has told, gave you a fork and an elephant on a spit. How would you eat that elephant? One bite at a time. It's the way you eat an elephant. It's the way you eat anything. So if you are on mile three of a 15-mile hike, don't think about the 13 miles left to go. Instead, focus on getting to the next hill. Or tell yourself, you know what? I have 30 minutes left in me. I know I can go another 30 minutes. I'm just going to do it. After that 30 minutes, you'll find you have another 30 minutes left in you. Or another two hills left in you. You have a little string of victories along the way. You did it, and then at the end, you have completed your task and have the sense of being a winner, being a true warrior. And I use this military example on purpose because it reflects the mindset that believers have to develop in these last days. And it's reflected in our opening verses. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Three-foot world. That includes worrying about tomorrow or worrying about the future in general. I mean, we should be wise in understanding our time and preparing for things in the future, but not obsess of it to the point of losing our joy or, or doubting our faith or wanting to give up. However, when you start thinking, man, it's so bad right now. What's it going to be a year from now? This is when your spirit is going to get overwhelmed. And Jesus agrees with that. And he left these words for us in Matthew 6, 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or weep or stow away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Focus on what God has for you today. Let Jesus worry about tomorrow. For the Christian, that three-foot world is God, family, church, friends, the things that really matter in your life. Focus on the important things. Now, it's wise to be prepared. The, fool, the Bible says a fool sees danger coming and does nothing. It's smart to have a working smoke detector or carbon monoxide alarm in your house. It's wise to have a fire extinguisher and that everybody knows how to use one. However, being so afraid of the possibility of a fire that you're setting your alarm to wake up every hour to make sure there's not a fire in your house, that's just not healthy. But that's how many of us look at the future sometimes. It's wise to have a nest egg of money, to have a little bit of, of extra funds set aside, but it's crazy in January to have your heat shut off so you don't have to spend money on heat. See the difference? Preparation for potential hazards is fine. Seeing the, the, wor seeing the way the world is going and choosing to learn new things about homesteading or survival is a good thing. 
But obsessing about it, worrying about it, and letting it eat you up, it is not good. And it's going to drive a wedge into your spirit that will damage your relationship with God. If you fail in this, there is a consequence. Worry and anxiety will be dealt with one way or another. It has to go somewhere. You can deal with it in the way that Christ instructs us to deal with it by giving it to him. <coughs> or you will choose the way of the world and be driven into the temptations of the enemy. And the way the enemy tries to get us to deal with this kind of anxiety and worry is to dangle the things of the flesh in front of us. In an effort to give us that, that false set of fulfillment or relief apart from God. And Paul lifts them out here in verse 5. When Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. We have to remember the enemy has really, really studied us. In fact, I would say he has a spiritual encyclopedia with your name on it. He knows what to do when you're tired. He knows what to do when you're feeling overwhelmed. He knows which temptation to dangle in front of you when you are weak. He knows, and he will do it. Here's an example of a little bit of a rational fear from most of us will remember this. People in 1999, you remember prior to the Gulf War in 91, 92, there really wasn't cable news. And CNN came along, we got to watch the news, and cable news became a big thing. And people were watching it, 24-7 news coverage, fearing about the future. Remember Y2K? Remember how we were all going to go back to the Stone Age at, at midnight on, at, when the year 2000 rang? People made millions and millions and millions selling all kinds of survival food, shelters, generators. I know people, I personally know people who spent retirement savings on all of that stuff, only to find out that nothing happened. But you know, the enemy still does this today. He still uses fear and doubt and unbelief to get us to do things that, that are not pleasing to God and, and not good for us. Maybe you get stressed out at work. So instead of giving it to God, you finally accept that invitation to go out for a few drinks with your friends to numb that anxiety. Maybe you get in a fight with your significant other before they leave for work. Now you're home for alone, and the pull of the internet starts to, to tug at your soul, beckoning you to fulfill your needs with an inappropriate online relationship or pornography. See, the devil has that weakness list for you. He knows what to dangle in front of you. This is why Jesus says, put all of that to death. Do not Give the enemy ammunition he can use against you. Do not allow him to have a foothold in your soul. 
Put to death the things of the flesh. Give them to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need healing from this. I need deliverance from this, Jesus. I need accountability for this. Maybe you need to, to, to talk to somebody and say, I need you to ask me those tough questions. I need to get rid of this because every time I get weak, every time I get tired, every time I, I, I will run right back to that. I need Jesus to deliver me from this. Now, if we go specific to our dis discussion here, if fear of the future has a grip of your emotions, remember that Jesus is already there in the future. He's already there. The entire triune Godhead exists outside of this thing we call time. Isaiah says that, Isaiah 46.10 God is talking here. He says, declaring the end and the result from the beginning, from ancient times, the things which have not yet been done, saying, my purpose will be established. I will do what pleases me and fulfills my purpose. Downstairs, we have a chart in the, in the area that we eat in of the entire timeline of history, biblical history. That is exactly the way God sees us living right now. He sees Adam in the garden. He sees Jesus coming back on a horse. He sees everything in between. So why do we worry about tomorrow? It's a matter really of perspective. The God of today is also the God of tomorrow. He's going to bless you and keep you today. He's going to bless you and keep you tomorrow. That's why our perspective has to be one of trust. That God is not calling us to do something that he hasn't already prepared um, us to handle in the future. It's a matter of perspective. Do you have a perspective that trusts in God? Or do you, have a, um, or do you trust in the things of this earth to bring you security and peace? You see, this is exactly what's wrong with our world today. They've chosen the latter the things of this world. They believed the lie that the things of this earth can offer us as much peace, as much fulfillment, as much joy, and as much freedom from worry and anxiety as God can. And they worry about all those things outside of their three-foot world, and it's killing them. Satan is just simply peddling the first lie. Same lie he told to Ad, or Lucifer told to Eve. You remember, Satan told Eve that she could be like God. Follow me, and I'll show you all the knowledge that God is holding back from you. It's the first lie, and it's really the only lies, because every single lie the enemy uses stems from that same lie. And when we start to believe that lie... That's when we get to what we were talking about a few weeks ago. Satan's so-called deep secrets. The stuff that is being thrust upon us today. We do have a term for that in modern America. Satan's so-called deep secrets. It's called being woke. Being woke is nothing but swallowing these so-called deep secrets as truth. It started out very small, just small compromises about biblical truth in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
And then it just ran away from us. The Bible says a, a little leaven left on its own leavens the whole loaf. Or another way of saying this, if you go to the grocery store today and you pick up a loaf of bread, and you open a loaf of bread and right on the hind piece there you just see just a little bit of green. And you pull it away, you don't see anything wrong with the rest of the loaf. Do you put that hind piece back in there? Or do you throw it away? Throw it away, right? <laughs> you don't want the mold all over your bread. But that's what happened. We let that little bit of leaven grow. We kept it in there. We didn't remove it. And that's a result of what we're facing today. We allowed the enemy to rewrite morality. We allowed them to let that mold grow, and now it's ruining the entire loaf. But what was pretty much shoved at adults is now being targeted for children, young children. This tactic isn't new, by the way. Solomon says what was will be again. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same demons, the same tactics, and the same results. We didn't evolve past this because we got iPhones. If anything, it made it worse and quicker to spread. In the end, it's always a matter of the heart and what we long for. And that's why the Bible continues in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 3. It says, Now you must rid yourself of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and, put, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. And here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, being a paramedic for a long period of time, I've sat next to thousands of patients in my care. And during times of inter-facility transfers, going from one hospital to a bigger hospital, you get to talking about all kinds of things. And so occasionally one of them would ask about me, what I do in my spare time. And I'd tell them I don't really have a lot of spare time. I work 48 to 56 hours a week here. And in my off-dirty times, I serve as a pastor in my a volunteer pastor in my church. And you always see this really funny look on your face when you tell them they're a pastor. Because they've been talking about all kinds of stuff before that, using language that would make a sailor blush and all that. And it's like, pastor! they got to pull the halo out of the back pocket and throw it on their head real quick. <laughs> Said, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to this, like such and such church. And I'm always amused a little bit by that. And I'm like, you know, don't worry about it. Just be yourself. And I don't care a lot about profanity. And it's probably because military and fire departments and being a paramedic, I've, it's just the profanity sensitivity is kind of, kind of burned out of me, I guess. Um, I don't use it because I believe that 99.99999% of the time, there's much better ways uh, and more God-honoring ways of getting my point across. And which is why God tells us in the last verse to rid ourselves of filthy language. That in the Bible says it's out of the meditation of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if you're constantly F this, F that, and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff, if you find yourself swearing a lot, that's an indication of something in your heart. 
that you need to give to God. Another word is saying it's out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. So if you're saying that stuff all the time, then there's something in your heart that needs to change. I'm going to have a little bit of a rant here. There's a number of people I know that claim to be Christians, not necessarily anybody here, that say they're Christians, but they use the name of Jesus as an expression of frustration or a curse word. That, to me, should not be. That, that to me, is, should be absolutely prohibited in the Christian's heart from using Jesus' name as a curse. He should be the one you love most in this life. And if someone was using the name of your spouse, your children, and, and, and defaming them in some way, you'd be getting angry, wouldn't you? So how is it that Christians can use the name of Jesus as a curse word? I've never understood that. I, just, I want you to take that home and just meditate on that. If, if that's you, if, if you... If, 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 if you end up using the name Jesus or saying Jesus Christ is a curse, just talk to him about that. Because that shouldn't be something that's, that comes out as a Christian. End of rant. The Bible always points us back to what is in our hearts. Jesus showed us the importance of what's in our hearts in the Sermon of the Mount. You remember Jesus took the law and then went back and said, it's not just following the law. Following the law is important, but if you're sitting there saying things, <laughs> I kind of laughed at this, but some, somebody said, it's only the fear of prison that keeps me from killing some people. I said, well, if you're harboring that kind of hate in your heart against somebody, then that is not the way that Christ said it. Jesus showed us the importance of what is in our hearts in that Sermon of the Mount. He didn't stop at just the act of murder. Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder. He didn't stop at the act of committing adultery. Satan said, if you lust after someone, especially someone not your spouse, you commit adultery. Jesus didn't stop at the act of stealing what isn't yours. He said, if you covet what they have, You've already broken these commandments. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of what is on the inside. That's what disrupts our ability to have this three-foot world of only focusing on God and his plan for our lives and then leaving everything else to him. I'm going to close with one more verse taken from Hebrews 12. Really, it's the capstone for the Christian and our ability to remain calm in the midst of the current chaos and the chaos still to come. I'm going to ask us all to rise, and I'm going to pray this scripture over the congregation. And I take this from Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Lord Jesus, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Help us, Lord, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Lord God, we ask for your help to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Lord Jesus, help us to realize the joy that was set before you as you endured the cross, as you scorned its shame and sat down on the right hand of God. Help us to have that same attitude that we are not going to let the things of this earth bother us, but we're going to have that three-foot world of seeing only you, focusing only on you, and still running the race that you have for us. Help us to remember that. Help us to consider you who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart.